Welcome to Season 2 of the Mindful Literacy Podcast with your host, Dr. Jessica Bennett. Our mission is to provide one-on-one and small group literacy tutoring to children with dyslexia or who are at risk for reading failure. One of the driving forces behind creating Mindful Literacy Columbus was a social justice focus. We want to make needed education services accessible to all. The board is in the process of researching social determinants of health, such as family income, access to community-based resources, social support, language and literacy, and access to information. It is our vision to create a center where children can have access to high-quality tutoring, irrespective of family income. In our mind's eye, this center would also be a place where adults can study our written language together and where parents can find support. Listener support is paramount to how much we are able to support kids in our community. Thank you so much for your support. Here are three ways you can get involved in Mindful Literacy Columbus. You can share this podcast, and you can like and follow Mindful Literacy Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. Pause this podcast right now and go like and follow before you forget. Our Facebook is mindful.literacy.columbus. Our Instagram is mindful.literacy.cbus. Make sure to share posts to your feed and tag your friends. You can also volunteer. There are four opportunities to volunteer with Mindful Literacy Columbus. Even if you don't live in Columbus, first, you could join the Grant Writers Guild. Writers are needed. Second, you can join our summer camp in August. Counselors are needed. Third, we need volunteers for our first annual conference for kids and grown-ups. Even coordinators are needed. This event will be held in August. Finally, you can volunteer to be a mentor and editor for Beehive Press. We especially need high school and college-age volunteers who enjoy studying English or graphic design. If you would like more information about volunteering, please send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can also email our Director of Impact at Megan, that is M-E-G-H-A-N, at mindfulliteracypractice.org. Thanks again for your support, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Peg Hollenbach is a reading practitioner and owner of Peg Ed. She has been practicing since 2005 with a commitment to providing the explanations, not exceptions, of the English language. Upon reflecting over the past 15 plus years, Peg said, I have been so fortunate to have had the opportunity to work with many brilliant students that have made me a better teacher. I often refer to Peg as my teacher, and she is someone who has greatly influenced my own scholarship and the scholarship I share with my students. Peg, welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Thank you so much, Jessica, for the invitation to be on the Mindful Literacy Podcast. I I really... 
have listened to all of your podcasts and they're just so enjoyable and it's so great to hear what's going on outside with all of these amazing folks helping these students and so appreciate all you do for your students. You're uh, just an absolute resource. Well, thank you so much. And I, you know, I'm honored to have you on. I see you as my teacher and my mentor, and you really helped me go down the path and be able to empower students in a way that I hadn't experienced um, before I met you. So thank you so much. That's so nice. Thank you. Yeah. I tell the story of, you know, people say, well, how did you even you know, get started with this after you had already you know, been on the whole phonics journey, direct instruction, OG path. And I said, well, I didn't have all the answers. I was sitting, I remember a moment very distinctly sitting with a group at the time of fourth graders, you know, in the kidney shaped table, there's four or five of them sitting around there. And I was sitting in the center and I was working with them and you come in and out to privately tutor students. And I just remember how happy I was to have another adult, almost like a a coach, because I would say, you know, the kid, the session ended and the kids left and you'd say, how's it going? You know, and I'd say, oh, I mean, it's going okay. These kids are reading, but I just, I can't get them to spell. And I just, I'm stuck, you know, and you'd say, well, have you thought about it like this? Or maybe this convention you've learned isn't really accurate. Have you thought about it like this? And I just remember gawking up at you, like, where did you get this knowledge base? How do I acquire it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's, it's, you know, the relationship went both ways with when we were in that school situation together. I learned a lot from you as well. And I remember how intimidated I was. I'm like, oh my gosh, this teacher has a PhD. What am I going to do? And then, you know, then I realized that you were pretty quick to pick up on that. Maybe I wasn't doing OG as OG was structured to be done. Yes. It was funny because you would say, I'd say, I I remember, I don't know, it's funny. Some moments in life just get fossilized in your brain, I feel like. And this was one of them where I I looked up at you and I said, well, Peg, that's not OG. And you just kind of slyly smiled and you said, I do OG. Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, you know, it's, go ahead. I apologize. No, I was just pausing to admire that moment. <laughs> it was. Yeah, just smile. And, you know, I was found out. So, but I just love to watch, what was it? three years maybe and watch how you changed your instruction and how your classroom, I noticed things coming off the wall and other things going back up on the wall. And what I always, always will remember is no matter when I would walk into your classroom, the joy your students had to be working with you and how much you respected the students and their intellect. That is probably the biggest compliment I could get as a teacher, I think. Thank you. And so I guess then, you know, I felt like it was sort of a metaphorically speaking kind of, you know, I went from gawking up at you in in those moments as a human when you're like, I don't know, I don't have the answers. I feel like metaphorically you took my hand, helped me stand up and then walked me down the path and, you know, took me to my first etymology conference, which people would chuckle at. You're going to wear an etymology conference? Yeah. I don't even, at the time, 
completely honest, I didn't even know what etymology meant. <laughs> so I'm like, yep, I had to look it up. Where am I going? I'm going with head. It doesn't matter what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that kind of started my journey. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, Jessica, you bring up, well, and you bring up those seminal moments when you look back on where you go with your instruction or how you perceive things differently. And, you know, I distinctly remember, you know, the aha moments for me when I thought this isn't, you know, I had gone through the the learning center and I had uh, my initial training. I also had my advanced training and I was absolutely profoundly fortunate to have Gina Cook as my advanced trainer in uh, OG. So those moments as I was going through my advanced training, I was so fortunate that Gina was also becoming more aware of how instruction could be more robust and truer to what the language is. And um, I will never forget, we were uh, on a Zoom call doing instruction and she said she kind of paused and I was on there with maybe six other trainees and she says, well, you can all go back to your directors and yeah. Peg, you were, it was like really pixelated and I couldn't hear the word. It was like, I don't know, this is supposed to work outside of if if there's internet trouble. So I don't know. I saw like your voice recording, but I, I don't know. It's supposed to work with even if your connection fails. So, I mean, I see that it recorded your voice. So maybe it's just that I couldn't hear in real time. Okay. Well, let me, you want me to just go back? I have incredibly strong internet here. So let me try this. I'm going to make sure. I wonder if it, uh, my uh, computer went into a rest mode. Uh, what was the last you heard from me? You were you're, you did your advanced training with Gina Cook. During my advanced training with Gina Cook, I was fortunate enough to, as she was transforming and learning more about more effective instruction for our wonderful students that we work with, that we had one session where I had always struggled with the concept of syllable types and could not understand nor comprehend how this worked and how I could have gone through college and all of my education and had never heard of such a concept. And I will never forget when she just paused and said, syllable types are not a thing and we should not be teaching it. And that was just a joyous moment for me <laughs> and very liberating because I couldn't explain it. So at that same point in time, I was, you know, prior to that, I was dutifully following in lockstep the script of phonological primacy. And I would shroud any misunderstanding by uh, the language of saying, and I, I shudder to even say this right now, of telling students, well, it's just an exception. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how many kids did I damage by saying that? And, you know, I kept going on that path prior to that, to make that phonological peg fit into a, a false paradigm that English is sound and not stress-based. Yet all the time I was ignoring those cognitive abilities of the dyslexic learner. And I was 
framing my lessons not to overwhelm, and I would try to corral and divert the words that didn't fit into neat categories to like a little exception holding pen of some sort. I had the opportunity, and I shared with you, I have a a student that is now a junior in college in aerospace engineering that was absolutely brilliant. And he started to challenge me in fifth grade with this. He would give me this look like, really? You're, You're telling me this is an exception? I thought you were my instructor. I thought you were supposed to help me with this. This was a a young man that had high mathematical reasoning, science, and logic, but it was so disproportionate to his language scores, and he absolutely loved structure. He was a smart, conscientious learner, and he changed me profoundly on how I looked at the instruction for these brilliant kids. He was quite unaware, but we became co-conspirators in excising the lies and finding the whys of the language. I sensed his frustration that I was really being quite disrespectful of his intellect at that time. And we kind of made a game of everything that we had done in the past. And we, we started a little book booklet that was liar, liar, pants on fire. And he called me out on everything that I had lied to him about. I stopped immediately becoming essentially a phonics ringmaster, asking him to bark out sounds and we put away the cards and we started to look at how the, the language is truly structured. And during that time, I continued scholarship with Gina Cook, Pete Bowers, Michelle, and I was devouring everything I could to become a better teacher and to have answers for how our language is structured. And Things that I used to think was like a sacred dogma, you know, that anything that, you know, I was always disallowed. And you know this too from, you know, any deviation from that phonocentric blueprint, that all it did was perpetuate that the language was unpredictable. The thought that kids, whether they're in first grade or 12th grade, would be so overwhelmed by morphology, grammar, and etymology was just so disrespectful. So I shifted and I began focusing on other aspects of the language of the language, you know, again, taking multiple lexinars. I think I took everyone that's available, been to every etymology conference and my peers that aren't in this, this field would be like, wow, wild weekend peg going to go talk about words for three days or two days. Could not wait for conferences back when we were able prior to social distancing able to go. You know, I remember when you went to the one in Dayton and it was just wonderful to watch your mind being just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. How many notes did you take at that conference? That was great. (laughs) I think I filled up an entire notebook. (laughs) Well, and I remember when I took um, Old English with Gina and I'm thinking, what, how in my practice with my students will Old English be? germane to what they need to be learning. And I'm like, well, okay, I found that out. And having fun with students with Kennings and doing whale roads and understanding all the influence of Old English on our language. And and I remember digging as you keep looking up the words on Edam online and 
any of my research books that, you know, I, and I love the word text, meaning to weave. And you think when we text each other, we're weaving stories. And as I kept learning more and more about how the language was intertwined and like the warp and woof of the language and it could, each weft of instruction was interwoven. And when I was disregarding those important threads of morphology, etymology, grammar, along with phonology, it just would make everything unravel if we weren't doing all of those aspects and twining everything together. And it's just so beautiful how this all weaves together. I had to learn it wasn't the breadth of the lesson. I spend nearly an hour with a student and I used to think, oh my gosh, I got to get all this information in in an hour. And it went to maybe we spent the whole session on one word and one word family. It was amazing how much more robust and meaningful that instruction was for the student and how it transferred to their understanding for decoding and encoding. So this student, along with all of the amazing people that I've had the opportunity to study with and learn on this journey changed me from a liar to a crier of the predictability of the language. I don't know how else to put it. And um, this is the one student. And, you know, I used to joke with him that someday he'd be a rocket scientist and he, he is. And then I would always say to him that he would speak at his commencement and he Went, ended up going to a prestigious all-boys Catholic school here in Columbus, and I got the video of him doing the prayer at his commencement. And I think of the impact that student made on me and the rippling effect that it has had on every other student I have worked with that has followed him. And again, our students are our teachers. We are the teachers are students. I mean, this is a this is for me, you know, I mean, that's an, that's a yogic philosophy too. Who's your teacher? I am a teacher, but I am also a student forever and ever and ever for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Mindful Literacy Practice. Mindful Literacy Practice is the sister company to Mindful Literacy Columbus. We are a private tutoring and professional development company whose mission is to build a strong learning community that cultivates literacy and mindfulness practices with children, their families, and their teachers. Frequent and consistent tutoring is the key to fluency growth, no matter where your child is on the learning continuum, from special education to gifted education and everywhere in between. All elementary kids need to practice oral reading fluency and math facts. Mindful Literacy Practice offers affordable, high-quality, evidence-based methodology combined with precision teaching data tracking in both reading and math. For just 10 minutes a session, three to five days a week, it is not uncommon for us to see fluency rates double in the course of 10 to 12 weeks. Want to improve the speed in which your child can read and or do math facts? Mindful Literacy Fluency Programs. Improve what you measure. Practice. Measure. Improve. Repeat. Listeners of this podcast can use code FLUENCY50 for their first registration. MindfulLiteracyPractice.org forward slash fluency forward slash. Some of the, I'm often hired in to work with districts that may have not provided the best instruction 
for a student, often over many years. And walking into those buildings sometimes is not the most welcoming or pleasant of experiences. But I use our relationship that we had at Bexley as an example that helping it's, it's tough to stabilize people. And when, when we talk about our instruction that we are doing, it destabilizes. You know, I, I love that Gina uses that term a lot. And it really is. And it's like, well, and, and, no, this is not what I was taught. You know, off use T-I-O-N is a suffix. And this, uh, you know, we, we have to continue with red words or whatever you want to call them. And chipping away, I think, with instructors and help fortunate to be in their playground, so to speak. I want to play well, and I, and I hope that continue to change the dialogue a little bit. Every session I work with a kid, and every time I correspond with my colleagues and students that we share, that there is predictability to the language. We're making this harder than it needs to be uh, with layering in all of this unnecessary syllable types and tapping out and yeah I think it's it's a total mindset mindset shift from for the instructor but also a, a very much needed one for students particularly those who are do have dyslexic brains and they are typically super intelligent outside of the box thinkers where they're like, wait a minute, if A equals B. <laughs> right. No, so it's like, I, I, and I think that's kind of where, when the, where I kind of met head on, kind of ran into the wall where it's like, well, they're doing exactly what I've taught them to do. They're tapping out the sounds. They're spelling things based on the sound patterns they have been taught. But guess what? I didn't teach them all of the ways in French to represent that sound. And now as a fourth grader, that's pretty important information. <laughs> To that point, Jessica, I fondly, when I get a student that may have been given very phonocentric only instruction with card drills, and when I ask them, and, and I do this a lot with my students, you know, why are we doing this? Who cares? Who cares? What's the purpose? And when I talk to them about, let's just say card drills, I'm like, well, why, why is your teacher doing this with me? And guess what the stock answer is? I don't know. Yeah. And that's the thing I want to kind of go back to the, it is, I know you're, you, since I've known you, you've been hard on yourself, like, Oh, how much damage have I done? And I was a liar, but (laughs) were you a liar or did you just not know better? Well, again, I, I don't stay up at night and worry about this, but it is just what I get will always be frustrated with is that I even accepted the word exception. And I wouldn't have done that if I was a math teacher. I wouldn't have done it if I was doing math instruction. Nobody says an exception in that. So why is that okay in language to do it? So I guess that's where I get, you know, I look when I'm reflective on past students. And um, no, I, I don't think anybody's life has been severely impacted, but I like the truth in just teaching the language. I mean, it's totally liberating, totally liberating for the kids. And I think the biggest shift I've seen in them is their social emotional well-being. And, you know, we've talked, we talk about this a lot, but just honoring their intellect. And, and in, in a way, I feel like I've been cheated my whole life. And it's almost like if you come to this realization that 
there is so much beauty and predictability in our language. And it's almost like a, a moment of enlightenment. It's almost like we can only be as good as what we knew in the past, but who we are now isn't who we were even so this is funny because I, I think I told you when my my oldest child just started kindergarten it's, it's around the time when you and I first met and you had said oh from the mouth of babes because she said to me how do you spell such and such word and I said well tap it out my old self said tap it out and she said I did that and I know that's not how you spell it I didn't ask you how the word sounds I asked you how it was spelled yeah. And you got the biggest kick out of that. And you're like, well, there you have it. <laughs> um, that's, that's tremendous. Well, and you look too on how this instruction goes across languages. And I remember I was working a late diagnosis, dyslexic. I think I started with her in her junior year of high school. We worked just a lot on vocabulary and just a driven student and she would look at me and she said you know I could have probably gotten through Spanish a lot better if I had known English better and how all of this intertwines and um, and she used to laugh at me because I would often say to her oh here's a really great word this is a really interesting word she goes, if I had a dollar for every time you said that, I would have been able to pay my college tuition. <laughs> but imbuing that enthusiasm in students, and when I get emails or, you know, now we're, most of my students were emailing or looking at each other on a computer all the time, you know, send me words they have found and interests they have. It, that's it's just so unbelievably rewarding. This episode is sponsored by Cats, Prior, and Decuccio. Cats, Prior, and Decuccio are experienced Columbus attorneys focusing in real estate, business, and probate law. Find them and schedule a free consultation at kpdfirm.com. I completely, I, I was working with a junior who's new to me and she wanted my help in chemistry of all things. Like, oh, good Lord, did you not know that was my worst subject? Like, but now because I have this, this knowledge of our language, oh my God, I was so geeking out on her. I'm like, oh my gosh, because I understand our language, <laughs> I now can understand chemistry and let, let's look at these words. It's so, it was so beautiful. And so she, she got really excited because she was struggling with the concepts in chemistry until we uncovered, you know, the meaning of the word of the vocabulary words. And how it even crosses into uh, gaming. And, you know, when Minecraft was all the rage, I loved it. The vocabulary in there was so interesting. And when a student could tell me that, you know, that had difficulty reading that lapis lazuli was some, I don't know, mining project that they could do in Minecraft, you know, that took us right into dilapidated. And looking at how all the words work, and then they would start coming to me with more words, and it just explodes. And I love watching, and you say this a lot, and I love this, the empowering students to become participatory learners and learning the lang our native language. So I'm going to fast forward for my daughter of kindergarten stomping her foot at me 
being mad about sounds to she's taken to writing me letters every night before she goes to sleep because at some point, you know, we just said, you gotta stop coming downstairs after we tuck you in. So she started writing letters and leaving them on my nightstand. And last, last night's letter, I kid you not, was she has an intro and then she's talking about Zoom. I prefer Zoom. I prefer asynchronous days to Zoom. Uh, And then she goes on a tangent. Why does the word prefer have a pre as a prefix? Pre means before. So pre plus fur equals before. That does not make any sense. Pre before fur? It doesn't make any sense. I want to study really hard on Latin roots. And I know that is some of your specialties. Before I go to bed, I'm thinking, oh, I can't possibly write her back on this. And she wanted, she she likes me to leave her a note for when she wakes up. So she, this morning she said, you didn't write me back. And I said, well, there's too much to say in a letter. I'm going to teach you how to, I said, you asked some really good questions. I'm going to teach you how to figure out the answer. So we're going to look at those words today. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Would you happen to have a conifer in your home right now? We might have a fake one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it works. It works. <laughs> that is just absolutely precious. And how fortunate not only your students are, but your children. They get this instruction. Wow. Well, it's funny. I, both of my school-age kids are, have been pretty resistant to me. But now that I think there's actually a lot of silver linings to COVID. And now they get to see students come into my home and they get to sort of uh, here are our sessions and they're like, wow, mom kind of does know what she's talking about. And, and her kids are actually having fun and they actually listen to mom. So my oldest is sitting in on some sessions now with some of my students and they're co they're writing books together. It's really cool. That's tremendous. When we were, when I was going into districts and districts, you know, we we're on pre COVID usualness that was amazing how many ISs started to, I would often share their offices and they would leave while I was working with a student. Well, they started staying and ostensibly working at their desks, whereas they were joining in on the session. And I would just say, you know, you're welcome to join us. And that was so rewarding. It was nice to have that collegial relationship with them. And to say that nothing I am doing is voodoo or out of the ordinary, it's just the language. And that that's a pretty big just. I get that. But I think as more and more of us, you know, having that collegial relationship with teachers when we're sharing students only makes that student's instruction so much more meaningful. And I love when you said liberating, when it's changed our instruction, what was especially liberating for me was there is so much opportunity with the curriculum these kids are given, like you said, the chemistry or the sciences for plenty of word work and investigation that becomes, you get the buy-in from the student. Okay, I get where this is going to help me. This is real life. This is going to, you know, instead of fabricating lessons that might address, oh, double S at the end of a base word, or, you know, let's do this sounds of CH. To me, that was incredibly liberating to just to be able to go, okay, show me what your schoolwork is and let's move from there. 
necessary. I don't think that any of us on this path are saying throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of the, the phonics, because I feel like because I had that extensive OG training, even before I had the brand OG, I was doing, I'd say OG in quotation marks, because I was doing exactly what had been researched for many, many decades. But that having that foundation as a teacher of knowledge, I kind of drill into that skill set and that phonetic knowledge after we've already laid the context for the meaning part. And that's what's been a really fun perspective shift. And I also think because, you know, personally speaking, because I had worked in a district who had adopted a robust curriculum, the tier one instruction happening in the classroom, the founda- that foundation was already being laid for the work in order for me to go deeper, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Place at the table for the phrenology. And, and, and it was, as I mentioned, it, everything weaves together. And to leave one thread out, or only use the one thread of phonology is shortchanging the kids. And I absolutely love weaving all the other aspects together. Make sure to save the day for two fun events in 2021 in partnership with the Final Third Foundation Mindful Literacy Columbus presents 2021 Summer Writing Camp. Kids entering third to seventh grade will have the opportunity to be a part of this investive writing camp. Save the date for this week of August 8th. Email Megan at mindfulliteracypractice.org for more information. Make sure to mention that you heard about this camp from the podcast and enter a drawing to win 50% of the camp tuition. First Annual Mindful Literacy Columbus Conference for Kids and Their Grownups. After this conclusion of the writing camp, we will hold a community celebration. This will include kids showcasing their work, art, music, yoga, food, and high quality professional presentations for both teachers and parents. Teachers will have the opportunity to learn CEUs. The conference, which will be held on Saturday, August 15th, 2021, will serve as a fundraiser for a non-profit organization. We will also currently accepting presentation proposals from teachers and professionals in the community. Please email Stacey, S-T-A-C-E-Y, at Stacey at MindfulLittersPractice.org. To receive more information about the conference and or the submit of a presentation proposal. We were talking about compounds and it was, we, first of all, her, her assignment was actually really great considering this is like a hundred percent online learning. And I first said to how, and I'm thinking back to my own chemistry experience as a junior in high school and, you know, a junior in college. And I'm, I see myself in a chem lab, you know, and I'm like, how in the world are you supposed to learn chemistry at home? You know, go around and find uh, objects in the house that had the uh, the suffix with uh, A-T-E. Well, they didn't tell her to do that. I, I was like, well, what does this mean? What do these words mean? Oh, look, you put A-T on the end of a compound. Look at this. And so we then were able to go around the house and hunt for objects that maybe had compounds in them. And so as she was uncovering this and kind of 
you know, getting the assignment done, then we are able to look at, well, what, is there any other suffix that has, that indicates that this might be a compound? And there was something else, this was a little bit, maybe like a month ago, but just looking at, I, then we were, because we were studying the words, I was like, well, what is the process? What are the two different types of compounds? So how do you know which is which? And look, the words will give you a clue to that. Wow. That, what a nice assignment. Obviously, her instructor had put some thought into that and, you know, kept her from blowing up the kitchen and doing experiments. Again, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, even with, you know, mathematics are, are not my strong suit, but if I, I understand how the, the, the lexicon of that field of study works, I, I it, that's really empowering for me and becomes empowering for my students. Although most of my students teach me the math and I teach them. Yeah, with the math concepts too. And then I was doing biology with a sixth grader and he was having trouble with the concepts between a vacuole and a vesicle. So then we looked at, well, what do you know in your house that sucks up waste and dead stuff back? Oh, vacuum? Is that what vacuum cleaner does? Oh, cool. Vessel do? Is a vessel something that kind of can has something to do with holding a liquid, maybe? So a vesicle transports something through these fluids in a cell? Okay, straighten that one out. And that was just like really fun. I had never made that connection. And so I think part of it too is as an adult learner, learning every single day next to my kids, it it infuses a passion in me. And, and how could it not be infectious, you know? Nobody wants to be sitting there drilling sound cards after a certain age. The word families sure are beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And the opportunity to work with so many different gifted students that their manifestations of their dyslexia often goes across many spectrums. I love how much I have learned from every student I've worked with. I've been doing this for 13 years, 14 years. And to be able to work in a field where I learn something every single day, I feel just so absolutely fortunate and fortunate to have the opportunity to work with these brilliant students. Yeah, for sure. And it's really, it's really, Fun too to know, like they're kind of at the precipice of anything's possible for them, and because of this study, anything's possible. Here is the chemical compound suffixes, and then it, it, this is what really unleashed it for her. So first, we looked at the chemical compound prefixes of mono, di, tri, you know, all the way through deca, and then we we discovered together that ide and ate were negative ions, and it and ic and ous and o n i u m were positive ions, and so. Then she was able to, then I was like, okay, so what does that mean? What is a negative? And she was able, once she, her negative ion, positive ion was able to describe the concept to me. And then she tied it back in. So now when she sees that suffix, she knows if it's negative or positive. Thank you. I just learned something. I'm making note of that for my high school student. I would say the most bittersweet part of what we do is we're really planned obsolescence. We want to get these kids to the point where they don't need us, that we give them the tools and the understanding to move on. And 
you know, this time of year for me is usually a very bittersweet time of year because many of my high school seniors, I like to have them have make the choice on whether they need Miss Peg anymore or not. And many of them are learning that, and, you know, an upside of COVID is, has prepared them, I think, a little sooner for being an independent learner into college. But I see texts less and less from them saying, hey, I need a hand, I need a hand. And, you know, as I shared with you, I had my last session with a guy I had worked with since sixth grade, and he is off to be a underwater welder. And it was just so bittersweet. And sitting there crying as he's saying goodbye to Miss Bag, but gosh, that's what we're supposed to do. We're, let them fly. Yeah. And then mission accomplished. I think my, my biggest epiphany throughout this whole journey, it, and I hear myself telling kids all ages, all ages, whether we're working on words or not, sometimes it's helping them with executive functioning and study skills, but I'll say, mm-hmm. and, or, and, or writing, I'll say everything fits into a system. We, if we figure out what the system is, then it makes everything easier. And it's sort of like, e- yep, that's what's happening here with language study is that we were almost like muddling through the details without having the, the 360 degree view of the system. Well said. Just so well said, Jessica. You're absolutely, you know, and when you see them understand and embrace the systems, then you, it's job well done. Peg, it was so great to have you on. I so miss interacting daily with you, <laughs> but so appreciative of this opportunity to share my story. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. I just hope to keep giving others what you have given me, whether that be my students. I'm preparing a professional development for a rural district near where I grew up, and it's called Taking the Trick Out of Trick Words. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. So I'm really excited for that, and it's all because of you, because you helped me take the trick out of trick words. Thank you. That's so kind, and go back and thank Gina for helping me see the, the light about understanding the language. Yeah, absolutely. And she, we have a a podcast episode with Gina and also another colleague, Kelly Young. So if you haven't listened to those this to date, yes, definitely the Lumiere I call Gina. And poor Gina has to see my face just about every time she teaches these days. So (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm taking a class with her at the end of the month. I'm not sure. I have to, I don't remember. So again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I will talk to you hopefully soon. I love you, Peg. Love you too. Again, thank you for the kind words. And just, I just love watching you embracing this and I knew you would run with it. So thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to Mindful Literacy Podcast. May you be inspired, energized, and share this love with those in your care. We are also grateful to have you as a part of our community. If you are enjoying the content in this podcast, please share this with your friends and colleagues. Subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please also take a moment to connect with us on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram, mindful.literacy.cbus. 
We want to hear from you. What topics do you want to uncover next? Who is doing these amazing things on the field of education that we should be talking about in season three? Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace. Before we wrap things up, we want to mention one more way from anywhere in the world that you and your students can get involved with Mindful Literacy Columbus. For just $25 a month, you can become a patron member of Mindful Literacy Columbus. Yes, that's right. For less than the cost of a latte a week, you will become a champion for child literacy. And you have the opportunity to give directly back to kids in two ways. First, dues enable staff to grant right, fundraise, and build organizational awareness. Second, patron members are invited to contribute monthly to our publishing house, Beehive Press. The books that your students will curate will then be sold to generate even more scholarship money for your students. Beehive Press is an imprint of Mindful Literacy Columbus. Here is what patron members will get for their $25 per month. Submit one book by Kids for Kids for Beehive Press per month. Receive video lesson plans on how to engage kids in the writing process and PDF graphic organizers to help with the pre-writing process. Includes help with book layout, one-to-one final editing session, marketing, sales, and logistics of the book. Receive the proof of the book for free. Includes copyright and ISBN number. Each published book that is sold gives back to MLC. 50% goes to scholarships, 50% goes to the authors. To become a patron member, go to mindfulliteracypractice.org slash donate.